0: The week after Easter we started working uh I was gonna say verse by verse, but more like word by word or phrase by phrase through uh the chapter, first Corinthians chapter thirteen, which is known as the Love Chapter and series called Love Is and our goal this morning is to kind of finish that chapter and to finish this series and even to give a little hint of a springboard into the next series. And so uh, we got a lot of ground to cover, and so I'm going to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bible if you would. If you're a guest today, we have a tradition here at Temple that we hold our Bibles up and say a creed about what we believe this book to be before we kind of jump in. And uh, if you're visiting today and you're like, I don't know that that's where I'm at in my spiritual journey, please don't feel pressure or obligation to say this with us. We're not trying to force you to in church today. That's not our goal. Uh, but if this does resonate with your heart, then I'm going to invite you to lead the way with me, if you would. Hold up our Bibles, and let's declare this with some passion this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Awesome, thank you so much. Turn to First Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13. What we're going to do this morning is we're actually going to read the whole chapter, um, kind of do a bit of a review on what we've covered so far uh, quickly. Um, we're going to look at the end of the chapter, because um, we kind of already looked at that a little bit, uh, this the beginning of this year, the beginning of 2021. And uh, so we'll do a quick summary of that, but then we'll come back to the verses that we haven't really covered yet in the heart of all this. Uh, So that's the direction that we're headed this morning verse number one If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels That's pretty spectacular But have not love I'm a noisy gong or clanging symbol if I have Prophetic powers that's supernatural Understand all mysteries and all knowledge. That's really smart And if I have all faith So as to remove mountains, that's really spiritual. But have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, that's really sacrificial. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, that's really, really sacrificial. But have not love, I gain nothing. We said this summary to kind of chart our conversation. The first blank we filled in is love is the win, Love is the win, not checking the right boxes or having all the right answers to all the right things, even what's spectacular and even supernatural. Love is the win. And then the repeated phrase in there is, is that without love, there's nothing. There's, there's no purpose and there's no profit. And so what's the opposite of nothing? It's everything. Love then is everything. If we get everything else right and we get that wrong, we've missed the mark. And so love from a biblical perspective is everything, but love from a biblical perspective is very different than the modern definition of love. Matter of fact, love is This otherworldly thing, it's the word in this text called agape, which historically we don't read in any other historical writings. It's like there's this word in the Bible that the the writers at the time were like, yeah, it's love. It's just not like anybody else's definition of love. God has this definition of love that's that's not really very human. It's it's above us and it's it's beyond us, which is which means it needs to come from something other than us. And so that, that drives us to look to the source of all of that, the God who is love, verse number four. Love is patient and kind. So when the descriptors really start flowing, the first blank we fill in is love is patient. Who wants to start there? Like we, we filled in the first really descriptive blank and I already am out. Like pencils down, we're done. But the fact is that the more that we contemplate that, I'm so grateful that real love is patient. Because if I have any hope of being loved as a fallen guy, as a busted up dude, as a guy who falls short every day, if I have any hope of being loved, I'm going to need some people to be patient with me. And the fact is, if we're going to do life in a broken world with broken people and we're actually going to love one another, it's going to demand some patience. And so praise God, it starts there. And not just praise God, it starts there because we need patience. I love the fact that it starts with this inner thing called patience. It's this thing that you can't really do surface. That's not a behavior modification, fake your way, act religious. Patience is one of those things that's either really happening inside of you or it's not and we can usually tell. And, and, And that's like... Everything we read about the life of Jesus is he's not trying to fix the outside. He's transforming us from the inside out. It's the transformational convicting work of the Holy Spirit that changes us. That's why we look different. That's why we behave different. That's why we live different. That's why we love different. Because we're being transformed by his power, not our own. And so he starts with patience, meeting somebody at their pace And at their place on their journey. And then that work of grace produces kindness, which was the next blank and the next word in the text. That kind of love is kind. Now the difference between a heart change that produces kindness versus this modern definition of kindness is it's really surface. It's really fake and it's really fragile and temporary because uh, we're telling everybody be kind until they do something or say something we don't like. And then we're done with them. That's not kindness. That's niceness. Maybe. But kindness is this genuine thing that really transforms the way we walk through life with broken people. Love is patient and kind. The rest of verse four says love does not envy. It's not jealous or boast it doesn't brag to other people about self. It is not arrogant. It doesn't brag to self about self on the inside or rude. That idea of dishonoring, that love is not dishonoring, it honors others. That love is taking cuts to the back of the line, Bob Goff says. It's seeking the benefit of others and the good of others. It's not all about us. Life can't be all about us and about loving people at the same time. Somebody's got to take the second seat. Somebody's got to move down the bench. Love says, this doesn't have to all be about me. And, and the way we filled in the blank with that idea is that love is selfless. We looked at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, that the Spirit of God produces this fruit in us. And the first descriptor is love. And then in the dead middle of those fruits of the Spirit is patience and then kindness. That comes from the Spirit. That doesn't come from self. As a matter of fact, if we, we looked at the rest of Galatians 5 where it talks about that we are crucifying the flesh... We don't need to act better. We got to die to self. That literally, it's nailed to the cross with Jesus, and we live for a purpose greater than ourselves. That's what frees us from the little kingdom of self, to being able to truly love others. The rest of verse five is um, where we parked last week. It does not insist on its own way. Doesn't seek its own, demand its own way. It's not irritable. We said it's easily stirred up, bringing to the surface the stuff that's already on the inside. And it's not resentful that that idea of bitterness and unforgiveness. We said biblical love is a quick forgiver, a fast forgiver, doesn't harbor resentment because it's not all about us. It's not demanding our own way. And that idea of seeking the benefit of others, extending grace, not being quick to anger, but being quick to forgive, that sounds like Jesus. So we filled in the blank last week saying, love is grace in motion. It's one thing to believe in the doctrine of grace. It's one thing to claim the doctrine of grace to get us to heaven one day. But the message of the Bible is that grace transforms us and comes out of us to a hurting, broken world. Love is grace in motion to those who most need a taste of grace. Grace. This morning we're going to really focus on verses 6 and 7, which say, It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. We'll circle back and talk more about that in a minute. Love bears all things. I learned something that that doesn't mean what I always thought it meant my whole childhood. We'll talk about that. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Well, endures how long? Great question. Next verse. Love never ends. That's how much it endures. As for prophecies, man, they're great, but they will pass away because the prophetic will be revealed. There's coming a day there will be no more prophecy because it will all be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, and he means our brand of knowledge, it will pass away because all of our knowledge is influenced by our flesh. All of that glimpse of knowledge will pass away because 4 verse nine, for we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. All these great glimpses are just glimpses. There's coming a day. It will all be fulfilled. And on that great day. I have good news for you. You won't be so hard to love. (laughs) Neither will I. This is an important verse for us this morning to set the tone for when we circle back to verses 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And If he kept going, he would say, and I loved like a child. But when I became an adult, when I grew up, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What we're going to talk about this morning is a mature definition of love. I believe that our culture is infected with an immature definition of love today. And then he circles back to this hope of future grace. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Hallelujah. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I have been fully known. We're going to know him to the degree that he knows us. Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Again, we spent three weeks talking about that one verse at the beginning of this year, that that the reason love is the greatest is, is number one, it's eternal, and number two, it's the anchor. Our faith is in the work of God's love over us in the past, and our hope is over his continued work of love over us in the future And that will never end. Well, one day our faith will become sight. One day our hope will be fulfilled, but love endures forever. So that's going to be the the cap end there this morning. We're going to jump back to the middle of this chapter and really focus on verses 6 and 7. Most of our time together this morning is going to be on verse 6, which says again, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I wish I wrote down who said this because I didn't come up with this. But I really liked this wording and I would give credit to whoever said it. I try hard to do that. But I heard a preacher say once that love is good at catching people doing right. Love is good at catching people doing right. Maybe that doesn't sound profound to you. So I'll just confess for my life, I'm really good at catching people doing wrong. Like I have my black belt in it. Growing up in church has fostered in me a critical spirit that I have to put to death every day in my heart. When I don't pay attention to it, my critical spirit is really good at catching somebody doing something that I think is wrong. But the work of God's love transforms us to being really good at catching people doing right. Isn't that good? Man, I. Doesn't that sound like the kind of Christian life I want to live, right? Like, and I want to be surrounded by people who are better at that than I am. We're good at catching people doing right. It's this idea of, you know, we have this modern movement of we should we should raise up young people with positive reinforcement. It's this groundbreaking new idea. Like, no, it's not. That's the heart of God. (laughs) Here we are 2,000 years ago saying, rejoice in what's good. Don't rejoice in wrongdoing. And for some of us, we don't even understand what rejoicing in wrongdoing. You'd have to be just a straight up pagan to do that. But maybe our brand of rejoicing in wrongdoing is just being overly focused on wrongdoing. Love frees us up to look for reasons to celebrate, not just for reasons to correct. To look for reasons to foster relationships, not just fix people. To, to address potential in people, not just their problems. Th- this text is encouraging us to speak over the people in our orbit, the potential we see of what God can do, is doing, and will do in them. How often do we speak the hope of potential grace in our loved ones? Instead of just confronting the things we wish were different already. This idea of, of looking for what God's doing and calling it out in them. I love being around people who see something better in me than I see in me. Right? It's just life-giving. And I believe that's how the gospel looks at one another. The gospel's always seeing the hope of what God's going to do in somebody. And we don't just see that. We speak that. Agape love speaks the not just the wrong, but celebrates the right. And what we see God doing in somebody. Now, let's talk about that in in regards to parenting. God-fearing, Bible-believing, loving moms and dads are going to make their kids angry sometimes. I can't believe I didn't get a single amen. Like, I know y'all aren't good at that anyways, but if ever there was a moment, like because love rejoices with the truth and here's the thing little people don't know a lot of truth yet and sometimes really big young people don't know what truth is yet there thank you <laughs> our kids are really aware of what they want and they're really aware of what they feel But they're not always aware of truth. But what godly parents do is say the the barometer for our household, the the way that we make decisions, is not your feelings or your desires, because that's not love. We parent and make decisions based on what we believe is true. And if your feelings and your wants contradict what we believe God has revealed as truth, we're going to pick his side. And that might make you mad at me, but praise God, I don't need you to like me to know that I'm doing right by you as your parents. The fact is, God has not called me as a parent to seek the endorsement of my children. He's not called me to seek the friendship, the approval, or the affirmation from my kids. That's parenting by taking. God-fearing parents are seeking to give guidance and instruction that points to life-giving truth. How could it be loving to let somebody direct the ship who doesn't know how to sail? Who doesn't know the difference between rocky waters and rough waters and safe waters? They don't know. And by the way, as parents, we don't have it all figured out either. But as God has revealed his truth to us, that is the the north star of how we parent. And that is not just true of parenting. It's true of marriage as well. A a God-fearing marriage does not endorse sinful behavior. That's not love. Love does not enable harmful behavior. Love does not allow abusive behavior. And that might feel loving or look loving. And the abusive spouse might tell you that it's loving. But according to God... Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love says enough. We we won't allow this or endorse this. Love rejoices with the truth. The same is true in friendship. If, If you have friends around you who never disagree with anything you say, I don't know that they really love you. Because loving friends say, I love you too much to not call bull snot on what you just said. I love you too much to not call out the toxicity of what you just said. Love does not just nod its head in silence. It rejoices with truth and it loves people so much that we don't want to see them running towards lies. By the way, including about themselves and I, uh, I will tell you there are God honoring moments where, where it is healthy and right to just listen. And I'm not very good at those moments. There's a lot of moments where people just want to pour their heart out to me, but as they're pouring their heart out to me, they are speaking lies about themselves I'm never going to get over this. I'm stuck. I'm a failure. I'm a bad parent. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad. No, you're not. I'm sorry you were saying. And they just want to listen and they want me to like cry with them. And and you've experienced this in marriage. Come on. Don't fix me. Don't lie. (laughs) Don't quote me on that. If you're here's the deal. The wisest person who ever lived spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And if I love you and you're speaking death over you, I'm not going to rejoice in that. So I'm going to listen patiently and kindly, and then I'm going to say, no, you're not. You're not a failure. You're not not enough. You're not a terrible person. You are not defined by your struggles. You are not going to spend the rest of your life in defeat. That is a lie from Satan himself, and I love you too much to endorse your lies. Jesus didn't die and raise from the dead so that we could speak toxic lies over ourselves. We need to love each other enough to speak up and say, that's not true. It might feel true. I believe you that that's how it feels today. Praise God. God, we're not governed by our feelings. We're governed by the truth that upholds the universe. Love cannot and will not affirm a lie. Love rejoices in the truth. Despite what the culture is shoving down our throats today, True love does not endorse a lie. The concept of love has been weaponized by a culture who rejects truth. I'll say that again. The concept of love has been weaponized by a culture who doesn't believe in truth. And if you've rejected the truth of God, the truth of God's word, the truth of absolute truth, you don't get to define love. You have forfeited the right to define love for me. And the same culture who's rejected truth is saying, here's how you love people. And if you don't love my way by my standards, you're a monster. And it's, it's really difficult because we're the people who are like, our God is so loving. He is love. And we're being told by the culture that if we view this word as true, we're unloving. And I think we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to surrender being called loving or are we going to surrender truth? And I just got to tell you, I've reached a place in my life that that's crystal clear to me today. Because I can't actually be loving if I've surrendered truth. Now. We can stand in truth in an unloving way, and that dishonors God. Some of us grew up in that kind of environment where people said true things at the top of their lungs while calling names and screaming at people. And we're like, I don't think that's all the way truth. We're to speak the truth in love. But the fact is, a culture who's rejected truth can't tell me what love is. We started with this bent as a culture towards this idea of tolerance. And again, if you're a guest today, please please just would you extend me some some freedom to hear out everything that I say today and don't just tweet one sentence or or take this one thing. Listen to me for just a second. I think tolerance is cancerous. Tolerance is not biblical love. That bar is way too low. I'm not rejecting tolerance because I want to offer less to people. I think tolerance isn't enough. So let me give you two definitions of tolerance. One's the real definition that's actually grounded in historical grammar. And the other one's the modern definition of tolerance. And both of them fall short. The word tolerant means to tolerate. Does that sound like biblical love to you? Jesus has so transformed my life. That I can kind of tolerate you. Oh, tell me what you have. What must I do to be saved? Now, let's be real. Sometimes we do just only tolerate our kids. (laughs) But that's not biblical love. So that bar is definitely way too low. What's the culture's bar? Tolerance means blindly accepting whatever you say, do, think, or feel as absolute truth. Well, that sounds like a higher bar, right? No, it's lower because real love does not rejoice in wrong, in error, in lack of truth. Real love only rejoices in truth. So if I blindly endorse whatever whim you have of the day, I'm not loving you at all. Both definitions of tolerance, the one from the grammar books, or the one from the culture fall way short of God's definition of love. Love loves somebody enough to point them towards truth. I'm literally watching a generation running towards a sexual cliff. And I'm told that the most loving thing I can do is you go your direction. That doesn't look like, sound like, or feel like love to me. The one who created this thing called sex knows what's best. I trust him. And if that doesn't fit with your feelings, thoughts, or emotions, I'm not going to bend to your whim because you didn't create you. I'm going to love you. There, we've kind of transitioned from the term tolerance, the, the new language around church life. Is this question, are you an affirming church? And maybe you've never been asked that, but I can tell you I have been and I think I increasingly will be asked that question. Are you an affirming church? And I gotta tell you, I find that question incredibly offensive. Because again, if we take the grammar definition of the word affirming, then the answer is absolutely unequivocally yes. We affirm that every single person, regardless of where they come from, what they do, how broken they are or are not, has incredible, mind-boggling value inherent in the image of God placed on them. So do we affirm your worth and your value and your goodness? Yes! But that's not what that question means. When, when we're asked, are you an affirming church, it means do you fully endorse the agenda of the LGBTQ uh, movement without any question, reservation or hesitancy? That's what's meant by, are you an affirming church? Do you affirm that the secular definition of sexuality is right? And the answer is unequivocally no. God hasn't moved. He hasn't. I'm a dinosaur because I haven't evolved on the issue. Man, mean, I'm not following the culture. I'm following the creator. And that sounds really unbending and unmovable and take it up with him. I didn't come up with this list. I'm sorry. But that question puts a believer in a in a spot where we have to say, no, I don't affirm you. That's offensive. I do affirm your humanness, your worth, your value. And by the way, and I'm not beating you up because you don't have my worldview. I'm not intimidated that you don't share my worldview. I'm not mad at you that you don't view the Bible the same way I do. I love you. It's okay. But don't tell me how I have to interpret this book. Don't tell me I have to change God's mind. That There is a sense in which we are kind of saying, you do you. But know that God has an opinion about whether the way you do you is right or wrong. To blindly endorse someone's harmful behavior is both unloving, unchristian, and unbiblical. Now that doesn't mean we go around beating people up for everything that they do wrong. So I'm going to be real honest with you here this morning. I'm not just talking about the LGBTQ movement. The fact is, the cancer of pornography within the American church is far more harmful to us than the modern movement of agenda in politics. The fact is, by participating in pornography, you're sinning against the God whose image you bear. You are sinning against your current spouse or future spouse if you are single. You are sinning against yourself as an image bearer. You are sinning against the woman who bears the image of God or women or people or animals or whatever it is you're watching – On screen, you're sinning against God's beautiful design of what sexuality is. And by the way, you're propagating the worst thing that's happening in humankind, namely the trafficking of vulnerable people for your personal gratification. It is a sin against God. And we love you and want to walk with you towards freedom. And we don't think you're a monster and we don't think you're crazy that you would struggle with lust or that you're having a hard time knowing where you fall under the, the standard of God with your sexuality. We love you. And if that sexual struggle is involves a same sex partner, we don't think you're worse or better or nasty or evil. We love you. We affirm your wholeness. And want God's best for you. And he told us what that is. When it comes to our sexuality. That all sexual behavior. Is between one man. And one woman. Who have entered into a covenant together for one lifetime. And everything outside of that. Is against God's plan. Is against God's best for you. And I love you too much. To endorse anything other than that. Love rejoices with the truth. I've spent way more time on this than I thought I was going to. Love also can say to somebody. I am sorry for how you've been hurt. And I disagree with your interpretation of the events. Real love says that I can endorse a person's pain and value them without endorsing their political movement. It means I can say that I, I grieve. I grieve that I have friends of color. Who've experienced racism and discrimination in this culture. And I simultaneously can tell them that I don't believe police officers are hunting them down to kill them in the street. I can believe both of those things. Anybody uncomfortable? Because sadly, if that clip went online, I'd be labeled a monster and a racist human being that I don't endorse the full narrative. But love rejoices in the truth as defined by God. There uh, was an article last week in the Wall Street Journal of an actress who was asked a great question. Here's the question. What is one good choice that everyone can make to improve the world around them? That question is really important before you hear the answer. What's one good choice that any person can make, not just for yourself, to improve the world around you? Here's her answer. Look for your own truth. And live your own truth instead of repeating anyone else's. What's crucial to me is to make my audience question all their old beliefs and to daily ask, what do I need today? And then go get it. How do I improve the world around me? Define my own truth, live out my own truth, pay real close attention to what I think I need and then go get it. That is the modern narrative of how how to improve the world. I believe we improve the world by saying it's not about me today. How can I serve someone else? How can I know true truth? Because my truth is always bent towards me, towards selfishness. Matter of fact, sometimes to to the point that I'm taking advantage of other people. Love does not rejoice in your truth. Love rejoices in the truth. And what I've experienced in 43 and three-fourths years on planet Earth is my truth is often untrue. Love rejoices with the truth, and in in this culture where we so bad want to love people, we, we just hear this this barrage of this message that we have a love crisis with all this division, the political hatred in our country today. But I don't believe we have a love crisis. I believe we have a truth crisis. Somebody just had an idea. <laughs> well, we'll take that as a cue from the Holy Spirit. and Move on to the next verse. That was the, you may now turn the page. You remember the records when you were little kids? Come on, where's my old people at? Ding! You may now turn the page. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're the generation that needs to get. Anyways, um, <laughs> verse seven, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I have lived my entire life with a misunderstanding of what it means to bear all things. I kind of read that like tolerance. Love just tolerates. We use that phrase, just bear with me. Which literally just means, huff, roll your eyes, and hang out for a minute. <laughs> That's not what this word means. This is a beautiful word in the Greek text. It, it's the same idea as bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. And it's one of those beautiful words in the scriptures that's trying to paint you a picture to see that since we don't speak Greek, we miss the picture. It means to put a roof over, to cover, to shelter, to protect. Love so believes in truth that love puts guardrails in the lives of the people we care most about. Isn't that beautiful? Love's, love seeks to shelter. One of the terrifying things about our graduates that we're celebrating today is that most of you are in a season of transition from, out, from underneath that roof of truth. And you're going to walk out exposed to a world that's going to tell you that everything God calls is true is a lie. What love seeks to do, mom and dad, is to shelter truth over our families. What love seeks to do is shelter our marriages with truth. To shelter our friendships with truth. Love comes into the life of a person and says, what are you struggling with? What's attacking you, man? Let's help shelter you with that. Love bears all things is the language of addiction recovery. And that we're we're together in this. Seeking to protect from what's attacking and pressing down on us. Believing that grace is on the way. And that God's still in the business of setting people free. Love believes all things. I've said again and again, the gospel always believes the best in a person. It sees the best in a person because we've watched the transforming power of the gospel to raise up busted up people like us. And we're like, good grief, he ain't done with you either. So that hope, that endurance, is all fueled by God. So here's the blank for this morning. Here's what we would simply say. Love is true. We mean that in the capital T sense and in the lower T. Like it's true as in it's enduring. It's true as in trustworthy. And it's true as in true. Real love is true. We will end the same way we've ended every week in this series, and that is we live in a world that's that's fascinated by the idea of love. Our poetry, our songs, our theater all talk about love. It's almost as a culture that we have made a God out of love, an idol out of love. We would say love is God. But what we believe the truth of the gospel tells us not that love is God, but that our God is love. God is love. By the way, God so much is love that he called himself truth. So if love is true, and if God is love, and if the way that we know God is that he put on flesh and moved in the neighborhood in the person of Jesus, Jesus called himself truth. The way, the truth, and the life is who he is. So yet again today we see in the revelation of Jesus that our God is love. Ethan, will you go to that that slide for me? That God is love. And go to this next one. Uh, we're, We're setting the stage here. We've ended with this slide every single week. Because we've been setting you up for this series that's starting next week. Because God is love and he's a lot more than just love. And so we've, we've spent all these weeks since Easter Sunday morning looking at the God of love. The God who is love. To hopefully whet our appetites. To know more of him. To experience more of him beginning next Sunday, our summer series is, that we're going to kick off is called God Is. And what I hope we'll do is take a deep dive into knowing who this God is that we say we're following, that we say we're proclaiming, and whose power we're living out and loving out our life.